morning, everyone. Um, if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be in verses 67 uh, through the end of the chapter this morning. If you need a Bible, we have a couple in the aisle there. You can flag somebody down and they can pass one uh, to you. Uh, like Matt said, we're going to be spending the next two weeks studying the story of the birth of Jesus. And so I'm actually going to start out by assigning a little homework to you. Uh, this week, I would love it if you would read Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. I think that will be a wonderful uh, experience for you and your family and also help you as we're studying uh, these texts together here. Um, next week, we'll be studying Luke chapter 2, which is the story of the birth of Jesus. But our task for this morning is to study the announcement of that birth. And in particular, we're going to look at one particular announcement that happens again at the end of Luke chapter 1, which is a prophecy. It's a prophecy by a man named Zechariah, who is a priest uh, in Israel and also the father of John the Baptist. And after his son, John, is born, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he makes a proclamation. He makes an announcement about the baby Jesus who's about to be born. And in that announcement, he gives us a message of peace. In fact, this announcement, the reason that I picked it for us this morning, is because it serves as a really wonderful introduction to the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that way, it, it sort of serves like an overture. I don't know how many people have actually ever been to a musical in real life. I feel like it's less and less now. But before a musical, if you've ever been there, you know that before the curtain comes up, the orchestra plays a piece of music called the overture. And in that overture, they introduce you to all of the key musical themes, all of the melodies that you're going to hear throughout the show. And Zechariah's prophecy is the same way. It introduces us to all of the key themes and melodies that we're going to come to know and love as we learn who Jesus is in the Gospel of Luke. And the main melody that I already mentioned is a melody of peace. It's a proclamation that in the birth of Jesus, God has sent his son to earth to pay for our sins that we might have peace with God. And so that's what we're going to spend our time talking about this morning. Peace with God. It's not, I think it's important actually at the beginning to say, we're not talking about sort of an emotional peace or emotional state of calm. But rather we're talking about the kind of peace that you have in a relationship with someone. The kind of peace that Jesus pays for and gives us with our Father in heaven. That's the kind of peace we're going to be talking about today. And I think it's really important to remind ourselves of that because especially this time of year, it can be really hard to feel peaceful. I know our house is uh, over-programmed with many, many things to do on the calendar and many presents to buy. And I just don't know that if you ask me what uh, one word I would use to describe the character of our house right now, I probably wouldn't pick peaceful. I think also, this time of year, things like depression and anxiety are just harder. Things like remembering grief over people we've lost who we wish could be with us are more present. Things like remembering the relationships that are broken in your life, in your family, are harder because you, know, you go home and you remember they're not what they're supposed to be. So all of those things make us feel anything but peaceful. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to remember the message of peace that we have in the birth of Jesus. 
And so this morning, we're going to try and unpack that tension. Because Jesus doesn't tell us that sorrow and sadness and suffering are going to go away. In fact, quite the opposite. He tells us that in this world, we are going to have tribulation. But yet, despite that tribulation, we can have peace and we can experience the peace of Christ. And so this morning, we want to understand that tension and ask, how can we experience the peace of Christ despite all of the tribulation that we face in this world? To answer that question or to approach our text today, I want to ask three questions of it. The first is, what is the peace that Jesus brings? The second is, how is this peace possible? And the third is, why is this peace offered to you? What is the peace that Jesus brings? How is this peace possible? And why is this peace offered to you? That's how we're going to spend our time this morning. So if you have found uh, the text, I'd ask you to stand now in honor of God's word as I read for us from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is God's word. You may be seated. So as we begin to unpack our text for this morning, I'd love to just point out a few things about the structure of the prophecy that I think will help us as we start to read through it. The first thing to notice is in verse 68. It says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That's kind of the main topic sentence of the whole prophecy. So all the rest of these verses are going to be unpacking that main point. Uh, Zechariah is praising God the Father for what he's done in the birth of Jesus. He's telling us that in the birth of Jesus, God is visiting and redeeming his people. And then the rest of it is sort of a, how, many, how can I praise you, let me count the ways kind of a structure. The other thing that I want you to notice at the beginning uh, is in verse 76, Zechariah changes who he's talking to. At the beginning, he's praising the Lord, and then in verse 76, he changes to be addressing his son, John the Baptist. He says, And you, child, meaning John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High, meaning Jesus. And then he tells us what John is going to do to prepare the way for the work that Jesus is going to do. So I want to make sure that that distinction is really clear as we get started to avoid any confusion. The third thing I want to do before we really dive into answering our questions, is just pull out 
where I see these images of peace so that you can see that sort of melody weaving all the way through. And then we'll unpack how that peace applies to us. So the first place, and just the most obvious place to see it, is in verse 79, where he's talking about Jesus guiding our feet into the way of peace. We also see it earlier in verse 71, where Zechariah says that we'll be saved from our enemies, where we will, um, and then a little further down, be delivered from the hand of our enemies that we might serve God without fear. So this image of peace actually is sort of weaved all the way through these verses. And I think then the question for us is what exactly does Zechariah mean when he says that we are going to experience peace? And to answer that question, I think, uh, again, I'll just mention that we're not talking about an emotional sense of calm here. This is not the peace that you feel in the morning when you have your cup of coffee before your kids are up. It's not the peace that you feel when you sit in nature and there are no cell phones or traffic and you hear the water and see the stars. That's not the kind of peace that we're talking about. Rather, we're talking about the kind of peace of a relationship between us and God. And, and that relationship is a two-way street. It's also a positive state of being, meaning that peace with God is not merely the absence of conflict, but rather a positive state of being where we are given wholeness and rest and joy. I think the um, best image for that in this section of, of the Bible comes at the end of the passage. In verse 78 and 79, Zechariah is again prophesying about the work of the Messiah who's going to come. And he says that we have been visited by the sunrise. That's an image of the Messiah that's borrowed from the Old Testament and the prophets. And he says, the Messiah who is the sunrise will visit us and give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And that that light will guide our way into the way of peace. So it's not merely the absence of darkness, but the illuminating power of light that comes to show us the way to peace. In fact, the images of light and darkness in the Bible are a really common way to talk about the work that Jesus does. Most famously in the Gospel of John, in his first chapter, he tells us that Jesus is the light of life and that this eternal life that Jesus brings shines out into the darkness and that the darkness has not overcome it. The way that God relates to us in this piece is to shine light into the darkness. It's not that he merely wipes away your tears. It's that he turns your weeping into laughing. It's not merely that he takes away your grief and your sorrow, but he turns those into joy. It's not merely that he takes away your fear, but he gives you comfort and rest and security. It's not merely that he takes away the darkness, but he shines the light into it to overcome it. That is the kind of peace that the Bible talks about when we come into relationship with God, and I wish that we had more time to spend on that, because that is so deep, and there's so much to unpack about that in the Bible. But I think, honestly, while that's a wonderfully warm 
way of thinking about the kind of peace that we have, it still strikes me as kind of abstract. It's hard for me to really get my hands around, well, okay, what does that really mean? How am I meant to experience that? And so to, to dive a little deeper, we can go back to the beginning of uh, this prophecy and we can understand a little bit more about what Zechariah means, about the kind of peace that we can experience through Jesus. And in particular, what we want to do is see that this peace that Jesus promises us with God is best understood as the fulfillment of the promises that God has made to his people in the Old Testament. That Jesus fulfills the promises God has made, and in that we have the kind of peace that God promised his people. Now, I think um, this is a little bit like putting a puzzle together. And I really hesitate to use that uh, analogy for two reasons. One, it's pretty common for pastors to talk about putting puzzle pieces together, and I don't like to be unoriginal, so I'm sorry about that. You've probably heard this one before. The second reason that I uh, don't like using the puzzle piece analogy is I really just don't like puzzles. So um, I acknowledge that that is a total deficiency of mine, and I'm sorry for that. But I especially don't like putting puzzles together in vacation homes because you go into these uh, places and you usually get a puzzle in a bag, and if you're lucky, the pieces go together. And if you're lucky, you have a box that actually shows you what it's supposed to look like which is not always the case. Um, And some people find that fun to put a puzzle together like that. I am not one of them. Uh, And the few times, though, that I have uh, agreed to endeavor on this ridiculous uh, activity, um, you you sort of put the pieces together, and you start to put it together, and you hope that it starts to take shape. And then as you start to put things that you think look like colors, at least for me, there's a place in the puzzle where you put that one piece in, And you say, oh, I know what this looks like now. These are cats having a tea party on a sailboat. Thank goodness we did this puzzle. (laughs) um, But I think what's happening here in the prophecy of Zechariah is that he's telling us that Jesus is that central puzzle piece. That when we put Jesus into the picture, now all of those pieces of God's plan that you hoped fit together really do start to look like something that matters. And he helps us see that Jesus fulfills these promises in a way that tells us the kind of peace that we're promised when we come into relationship with him. And so the first image of peace that we see is Jesus fulfilling the prophecy or the promise to be a king in the line of David. You can see that in verse 69. It says that He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. In other words, Jesus is a king who comes to sit on the throne of David. Remember in the Old Testament that the king, David, was made a promise. God made him a promise that there would be someone to sit on his throne forever and to rule in righteousness and justice and peace. And Zechariah is telling us here that Jesus is the promised king. And because of that, we can come to experience the peace that a king brings. We can experience the peace that a king brings of righteousness and of justice, where there'll be no more suffering 
where there will be peace from external threat, where we will be safe and secure. And now in this context, I think that Zechariah was talking about this peace in two ways. First, I think there was a literal, physical peace that he had in mind, a literal, physical saving from the oppression of of enemies in this world. But I also know that there's a future peace that he has in mind, a future promise of a city where God will be with us and there will be no more sadness and there will be no more sorrow and there will be no more unrighteousness and there will be no more injustice. All we will have is peace with God because Jesus is the king that he promised to send. What does peace with God look like through Jesus? It looks like the peace of having a king in the line of David. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that because he, Zechariah also says that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abraham. Look at verse 73. To remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. There is no bigger promise in the Old Testament than the promise to Abraham. I mean, that's the ball game, right? Before Abraham came on the scene, the world was in shambles. Sin had entered the world. Death had entered the world. And chapters 3 through 11 in the book of Genesis are just about one act of unrighteousness after another. It's terrible. The world is falling apart. And God calls this guy Abraham, who's nobody from nowhere, And he says to him, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to undo all of this brokenness that has happened. Not only that, I'm going to bless you. And through you, all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And Zechariah is telling us that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. That in Jesus, all of the brokenness of the world is going to become undone. And not only that, But God makes a promise to Abraham. He says to him, I will be your God and you will be my people. And it's through Jesus that that promise is given to us. Friends, the kind of peace that we have in Jesus is the promise that we are not alone. That we have a God who knows us and who loves us and who promises to be with us. And at least in my experience, there's no sweeter promise to those who are in suffering than that. Because the waters, they won't overcome you. The fire will not consume you. Because the Lord your God knows you. And he has called you by name and you are his. The Lord promises to be with us. That is the kind of peace that we have with God through Jesus. And these are just a couple of them, by the way. I don't think that this list that Zechariah is giving us here of the promises of the Old Testament being fulfilled in Jesus is meant to be exhaustive. I think these are representative of the major promises of the Old Testament, but all of the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus. All of them are. And so we can find rest and comfort in that that we have peace, like the peace of a king, that we have peace of a God being with us. 
Friends, I think sometimes when we think about the Christmas story, our minds go quickly to camels and sheep and a husband knocking on doors frantically trying to find a place for his wife who's about to have a baby. And if that's the image that comes to your mind when you think about the birth of Jesus, I think you are missing something wonderful and beautiful. Because to really understand the story of Jesus coming to earth, you have to understand how he fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. I don't think it's an overstatement to say to understand Jesus, you have to understand how he fits into and fulfills the promises that God has made to his people. And there is comfort and rest and joy and peace in that. What kind of peace does Jesus bring? He brings us peace with God. He brings us righteousness and justice and mercy and rest. And he brings us the promise that we will never be alone in him. So then, if that's the kind of peace that Jesus brings, I think the question is this. How can I get that peace? How can that promised peace be mine? Well, friends, the answer to that is very simple. The way to find and have the peace that Jesus brings is through the forgiveness of our sins that Jesus paid for on the cross. The way that we get peace with God is through reconciliation. Look back to verse 67. Excuse me, verse 68. It says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And then verse 77. That we would be given knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of our sins. The birth of Jesus is God visiting and redeeming his people. And he visits us and redeems us in the forgiveness of sins. Now this language of visiting and redeeming is not new in Luke chapter 1. In fact, this, this language is really common in the Old Testament. The most um, obvious example is the Exodus story. It's something we studied earlier this year. God's people, Israel, were enslaved in the nation of Egypt. They were oppressed. They were breaking their backs. They had nothing. They were slaves. And God heard the cries of his people, and the Bible says that he visited and redeemed them when he brought them out of slavery. When he parts the Red Sea and brings them into the promised land, he is visiting and redeeming his people. And it's not the first time or the last time that God is intervening in the course of human history on behalf of his people. Sometimes in the Old Testament, he intervenes in judgment and wrath because God's people, when they were in the promised land, turned their back on God. They worshiped other gods. They did things that were terrible. And so God visited them in judgment, sending them into exile. But God didn't forget his people when they were under the captivity of the Babylonians. No, he visited and redeemed them again, bringing them back, bringing them a remnant. And now this remnant, Israel, is again under the oppressive rule of another government. And God, again, is visiting and redeeming 
his people in the birth of their son, Jesus. And while each of those times was a time that God had visited his people, this time is the time. This time is the definitive time where no more visiting and redeeming is going to be necessary. Because unlike before this time, God doesn't just come to redeem us from slavery to people or governments. He comes to redeem us from slavery to sin. You see, Jesus was born with only one reason. He only had one purpose, and that was to die. And the Bible is really clear about our state apart from Jesus. Because of the sin that we have in our hearts, we are alienated from God. We are separated from God. We do not have a right relationship with God apart from Jesus. In fact, the opposite of peace in the Bible is wrath. That because of our sin, we deserve wrath from God, not peace with God. But because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, when he lived a perfect life and went to the cross to die for you, he paid the penalty for your sin. And when he rose from the dead and proved victory over death, he transferred his righteousness to you that we might again be in relationship with our Father in heaven in peace. Let me read to you from Colossians chapter 1. It says this, For in him, being Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus came to earth to make peace for us by the blood of his cross. And the way that we get this peace is by repenting of our sin and believing in Jesus, and that's it. The only thing that Jesus requires of you to get this peace is that you would know your need for him. That you would turn to him, acknowledging your sin, repenting of it, and trusting in him. And through the work that he has already accomplished, you will have peace with God. The final question then for us today if the kind of peace we have with God is a wholeness, is a deep personal relationship that is a positive state of being, if the kind of peace we have is a peace where a king reigns, the kind of peace we have is the peace that God has promised to Abraham to be with us, and if the way we get it is through Jesus, the question then to ask now is why? Why would God do this for us? And the answer comes through a couple of times in this passage. It's about mercy. Look in verse 78. It says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, 
he has visited us. Verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. And I'll tell you, I have known the Christmas story for a long time. I was one of those kids who went every week, whether he wanted to or not. And I could tell you the Christmas story for a long time. And I don't think if you had asked me to give you ten words to describe the Christmas story, mercy would have been one of them. But that's what it says. It says that the birth of Jesus is in fact not just merciful, it's the tender mercy of our God. And so I was reflecting a little bit on why I wouldn't have thought that uh, Jesus' birth was merciful. And I think, to be honest, it's just a little bit of my own arrogance. It's a very Western thing, very modern thing, to think that we deserve the love of God in the sending of his son, Jesus. Most worldly religions are deeply offended by the notion that the God of the universe would take on the humiliation of becoming a human. And the reality is they're right. It is a deeply offensive thing to say that God, who created everything, would take on the form of a human. So why would he do that? Why would he do this deeply offensive thing? He did it because he was showing us his mercy. Meaning, he was giving us a gift that we didn't deserve. If you go back for a moment to the passage I read in Colossians, let me just read to you what it says about Jesus. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and you think that we deserve him coming as a human? No, friends, that is mercy. That is a gift that we didn't deserve. It was a gift that we needed because we broke our relationship with God. And apart from him, we would have had no way back. The story of Jesus being born is a story of mercy. But not just that. There's another word here that matters a lot. It's a story of God's tender mercy for us. This word tender might also be translated compassionate. It's a word that means sort of from the deepness of his heart. He was moved with compassion for us and sent his son Jesus. And so the kind of mercy that we see in Jesus taking on humanity, is not an abstract mercy. It's not a distant mercy. It's not the mercy of a landlord who gives you an extension on your rent because he doesn't want to find a new tenant. That's the mercy of a father who, though even though you squandered your inheritance and ruined the family name, he runs to greet you when you come home. It's not the disinterested self-preservation of someone who sees you dying on the side of the road and walks to the other side. The tender mercy of God is the kind of mercy of a person who gets down in the ditch with you and picks you up and takes care of your wounds. It's the kind of mercy of a friend who gets down on the floor and cries with you when you're suffering. The tender mercy of our Lord finds its full expression when Jesus comes down from his throne to experience our grief and our sorrows, 
to know what it is to be tempted, to know what it is to feel pain, to know what it is to lose people you love. That's the compassion that he showed for us. That's the mercy that he gave to us. And friends, I think sometimes it's just hard to remember the peace of God, hard to feel it because we don't connect with the mercy of it. We don't connect with the compassion that God shows us in that. He had you in mind from all the fullness of time. He had you personally in mind, knowing that you needed a Savior, and the only way to do that was to send his Son, who by whom all things are held together into the form of a human to die for your sins. Friends, that is mercy. That's tender, compassionate mercy. As we close today, uh, just in our last few minutes here, I want to acknowledge for a moment the fact that the kind of peace that we have been talking about, this merciful, compassionate peace with God that feels like a God who will never leave us, may not always be our experience. We talked about it at the beginning, that these, this kind of peace often feels distant. Maybe it's been a long time for you since you've experienced this peace. Maybe you've never really felt it and wonder if you're a Christian because aren't Christians supposed to be peaceful? Well, I want to talk about that tension for a moment and talk about how we can experience the peace of God because the Bible is really clear. We can now experience the peace of God in a real way in our lives. And so I just want to talk about how we might be considering those issues for a moment. The first group of people I want to address are people who don't consider yourselves followers of Jesus. Because I know that if you're looking around at the world and you see darkness and pain and oppression, that it will feel hopeless. And you're right. Apart from Jesus, those things are, in fact, oppressively hopeless. There is darkness in this world, and it is painful. And so to you, if, that, if that's your experience this morning, what I would say is you will never experience the peace that I'm talking about this morning, the peace that Zechariah is prophesying about until you first have peace with God. The kind of peace we are promised in our experience in this world overflows from a peace that we have with God. And so to you, I would say, repent of your sins. Come in faith to him. Find peace with God and only then can you have any hope of experiencing a peace in this life. But to those of you who do consider yourselves followers of Jesus, I think this can be a really hard problem for us. And so I want to talk about what it's like for us to experience the peace of Christ as followers of Jesus who are waiting in a broken world. This morning I've been very careful to be talking about a kind of peace that we have with God. And I want to remind you, the first thing I would say to you if you're struggling with experiencing peace, is I would want to remind you that that relationship is not in question when you come to have faith in Jesus. That relationship was bought for you when Jesus died on the cross. And that work is finished. 
So when you have faith in Jesus, you already have peace with God and it was given to you as a gift that you didn't deserve so you can't screw it up. The beginning of our experience of peace in this world is remembering that we have peace with God that is unshakable. It also, it also means that we look forward. We look forward to a promised time when Jesus will come again where there will be no more sadness and there will be no more suffering. There will be no more war. There will be no more anxiety. There will be no more brokenness. We will be with God and we will have peace. That inheritance was bought for you by the blood of Jesus. And it is waiting for you in heaven. It is being guarded for you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. I think if we want to experience peace in this life, we have to start with those two truths. That we are living now in a time when we've already been secured a relationship with our Father, but when we are waiting to experience the promised peace more fully. And so the question is, what do we do while we wait? Well, the answer is not going to be some magic bullet. It's not going to be wildly innovative or new. It's not about listening to some perfect worship music or reading the right self-help book. The way to experience peace in this life is through the usual means of grace. This is really important. It's really important because it means it's available to everybody. You don't have to be a pastor or a priest. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be spiritually mature to experience the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ is available to all of us, especially to those of us who are broken, especially of those of us who are weighed down by our sin. The way to experience it is to come to God in prayer to submit yourself to him to ask him for peace the way to experience peace is to come to God in repentance to be reminded of the peace that he already purchased for you the way to experience peace in this world is to surround yourself with friends who can remind you of the truth when the suffering feels like it's too much to bear Friends, the darkness of this world is real. It is heavy. And we will experience tribulation of this world. But Jesus gave us a gift. He told us that he was leaving his peace for us. And we proclaim that the light has shone into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this.
Amen. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, help us, we pray. Help us to feel this peace. Help us to trust in the truth of it. Thank you that you are a merciful God who showers us with tender mercy, who loved us enough to give us your own son while we were still enemies. I pray especially for those of us in this room and for the people that we know who don't know your peace, who have never known you. I pray that they would turn in repentance today, that they would come to know the peace of God. Jesus, thank you that you have given us that peace. I pray that our hearts would not be troubled, that we would not be afraid. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would teach us all things and that you would bring to our remembrance all that Jesus has said to us. Help us, we pray, to be confident in the peace that was purchased for us, to long for a future peace that is promised to us, and to wait with a countenance of peace that can only come through knowing you, our Father in heaven. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.